Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Final Four edition. The Bengals have four games left in the regular season, including a road game this Sunday against the 9-3 Los Angeles Chargers. Is it me, or will Los Angeles Chargers never sound right? We'll get you set for the matchup. Here's what's coming up. My broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss several hot-button topics, including the Bengals' use of Joe Mixon, what it's like for the players when your head coach is under fire, and if the Bengals' defensive personnel simply isn't as good as we thought. In our Know the Foe segment this week, we'll talk to Chargers beat reporter Sam Fortier, who has all sorts of good nuggets from being around the Chargers on a daily basis. And we'll have a one-on-one conversation with Andy Dalton about the injury that ended his season and his future with the Bengals. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the cast iron skillet. They heat evenly. They're naturally non-stick. They're the best pan to give your food a good sear. And they're easy to clean. In case you can't tell, I'm a big fan of the cast iron skillet. Now let's get to football. The L.A. Chargers are hot. The Bengals are not. The Chargers have won eight of their last nine, and their only loss during that stretch was by one point to Denver. The Bengals have dropped four in a row in six of their last seven. And the Bengals' defense is in danger of joining a list that nobody would have imagined the Bengals being part of at the start of the season. There have only been five teams in history that have allowed an average of 30 or more points a game and 400 or more yards a game. The 2016 49ers, 2008 Lions, 1981 Colts, 1951 Yankees, yes, there was a New York Yankees football franchise that folded at the end of that season, and the 1950 Colts. Right now, the Bengals would make it six teams. They are allowing 30.9 points and 433 yards. Both figures rank last in the NFL. Defense is where I began my conversation with Dave Lapham. Lap in 2015, the Bengals finished number two in the NFL in scoring defense at 17.4 points a game. Since then, they have dropped to eighth in 2016, still good, 16th last year, middle of the pack, dead last with four games to go this year. Do we tend to think that the Bengals' defensive personnel is better than it really is? You know, I think that's a tendency that everybody has, you know, they, they, um, if you're fans and, and close to your team, you think that your players sometimes are better than other people around the league might think. Now, Geno Atkins, I think, is universally regarded as a disruptor, a destroyer in the interior of a defense. And it's, it's well-earned, and I think he, he is that guy. I think part of their problem is, though, that not only are they underperforming physically, they're just not getting lined up right. You know, it's, it's their, they're not gap sound, even on alignment sometimes. And until that's solved, and I can't understand why it can't be solved. I just don't get it. Why every week it's the same problem over and over and over again. And in that in that situation, you're giving the offense an immediate win. 
I mean, you can't win snaps when you're improperly aligned. It's you're giving them too much of an advantage. I don't care if you have you know superheroes at every every defensive position. So they got they've got to get that part of it right. And the, the little tidbit this week, uh, you know, for me is 167 points allowed in the second quarter, the most points allowed in any quarter by any team. Marvin Lewis was a defensive coordinator, a record holder with the Baltimore Ravens in the year 2000. They allowed 165 in 16 <laughs> games. The Bengals have allowed 167 in one quarter of 12 football games. It is ridiculous. It's mind-boggling. It really is. And that's, that's their second quarter is just killing them. And, and by the way, <laughs> looking at this matchup, Chargers in the second quarter, they scored 124. They've outscored the opponent 124-51. to They're plus 73 in the second quarter. That's their best quarter. <laughs> Here we go again, surviving the second quarter. <laughs> but it is, Dan. It, I, th- I, think, I think that uh, guys should be humbled. Uh, but it's about time that they, whatever, it's, whatever the reason is, that they keep aligning themselves improperly, hitting in the apps improperly, uh, tr- doing things that aren't supposed to be done, it's got to stop. I mean, it's got to stop. It's, it's embarrassing to watch it. It really is. We don't know Marvin Lewis's fate. Mike Brown will obviously have the final say. And if history has taught us anything, the last four games of the season will have an impact. But, Lap, I want to go back to 1979, your sixth NFL season. Homer Rice was the coach. And at this point of the season, the Bengals were 2-10, and 10, and people were undoubtedly calling for his head. How does it affect the players when the public has turned against the head coach. Yeah, and, and biggest memory of that season for me is Homer Rice getting on the intercom system and begging guys to show up to the meetings. Uh, you're now 10 minutes late. Please report to the wide receiver room. I'm like, what? I mean, that was a huge mistake. I, that that might be one of the only mistakes I think Paul Brown, Paul Brown might have made, naming Homer Rice the interim head coach and then keeping him You know, the following. We started 0-8 that year. And I mentioned this before, I can vividly remember driving into my neighborhood at night with my headlights out so neighbors wouldn't detect I was there. (laughs) (laughs) And and I remember saying to my five-year-old son, take the rubbish down to the curb. You know, I'm not going out there. And he, you know, it's like I didn't want to go anywhere or be seen by anybody. And that's that's really, if you have pride in your job, I mean, you're a laughingstock. There's nothing worse than that, nothing worse than that at all. And all you have is each other and – and, and again, there are some guys that are going to fight no matter what. There are guys that are going to quit. There are front runners. You find out who your front runners are right away. You find out who your, you know, real pros are right away in situations like this. Uh, and and uh, you know, all you have is each other. Do you rally around your coach or not? Um, they rallied around Marvin last year with the two wins to knock playoff teams out, and uh, it brought it brought Marvin back. What are they going to do this year? It's going to be interesting to see how it all unwinds. The Bengals are an organization that relies on drafting and developing players, and by and large, they've drafted well. But the 2015 draft looks like a disaster. Cedric Obwehi, Jake Fisher, and P.J. Dawson, remember him, were all taken in the first three rounds and haven't panned out. The only players taken in that draft that have done okay are tight ends Tyler Croft and C.J. Uzama. How much did the 2015 draft set back the franchise? Heard it big time, Dan. There's no question. You know, look at the offensive line that they started the season with this year. They had to trade for a tackle to play left side, paying him $11 bucks a year. 
and, and sign a veteran free agent from the New York Giants, Bobby Hart and the other, because uh, they were 0 for 2 drafting tackles uh, in, in that particular draft. And, and that's the thing. A lot of times, if a team needs a corner, you know, they don't just, just draft one, they'll draft a couple. Uh, because, you know, you, you lessen the, 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 oper- or the chance that you're going to have a disaster. If one doesn't pan out, you don't have a plan B. They went and they drafted two of them, you know, and, and, uh, and neither one of them at this point have, have done anything. Uh, Fisher more so injury. Oh, boy, he just deciding, you know, he's not going to do it anymore. He's basically shut it down. The thing about Cedric Oboye that bothers me as a former player, if it doesn't work with your first offensive line coach, and then you get a chance with a second one. It doesn't work there. At some point, go to the coach and say, you know what? Obviously, I'm not doing something right. You know, what is it that I need to do to make myself a good football player in your eyes to improve myself? And crickets. He's never done it. To me, that, that's an indicator that where is his heart? Where is his head? Is he really interested in, in being a, a, a pro in this foot, in this uh, National Football League? So, But, yeah, it was crippling. And, I mean, it's rare you go 0 for 3, the, the track record this team has, it's well documented that uh, has more draft picks in the National Football League, not just with their franchise, but all franchises picking players up and everything. The Bengals um, drafting players initially coming into the league by that route, there were more of those in the National Football League than, than anybody else has. So they've done a remarkable job, but uh, that, that draft was a tough one. And it did set them back because – when you're still trying to figure out uh, who's going to play on, at the tackle position to handle the edge rushers, which is a big deal in this era of the NFL, that's a tough dynamic right there. Despite missing two games, Joe Mixon is 12th in the NFL in rushing with 755 yards, and he's averaging 4.9 yards per attempt, which is excellent. So why isn't he carrying the ball at least 20 times a game? <sighs> Very frustrating. Um, I know it's frustrating for Joe. And I'm sure it's frustrating for his position coach. And I'm sure it's frustrating for the offensive coordinator because he's probably thinking, you know, I want to do it, but then doesn't do it. Because particularly in this last game, A.J. Green went down early. Your best offensive player on the football field at that point is Joe Mixon. Feed 28. Put the ball in his belly. Throw it to him in space. He should have a myriad of touches, you know, 20 rushes, at least five more opportunities in the passing game. You've got to take care of your best player, however you do it, however you want to scheme it up, however you want to design it. You know, I know the penalties became an issue. You know, there were runs that he had that were negated by holding penalties, and now it's, you know, now it's first and 20 instead of first and 10, harder to run the football. I know all those things occurred, but even with that said, at some point you still have to get the ball in his belly. And the other part of it is we talked about before, another one of your very talented offensive players with the uh, injury hits that you've taken at tight end and receiver and quarterback and everywhere now, is Giovanni Bernard. Make him your slot receiver. You made a nice catch out of the slot for him. That's what we were crying about as soon as he came back to the team. Two of your best offensive players at the running back position. You know, New Orleans can deploy two of them. Kansas City's deployed two of them. People are doing it. Do it. But feature 28. I would much rather be accused of force-feeding Joe Mixon than not giving him enough, the ball enough. I would rather have fans complaining, man, you know, the running game's not there. Quit giving it to Joe Mixon. I'd rather have that at this stage in the state this football team's in than having fans saying, man, you've got to give Joe Mixon the ball more. I mean, I'd, I'd err on the side of, here you go again, Joe, and again and again, because at some point he's going to bust one for 25, 35, 40 yards. He's that talented. He runs hard. Every chance you give him, 
He'll reward you. He'll never, he'll never, you know, give you half effort where you say, man, I shouldn't have given him the football. He's going to say, thanks for giving me the ball, and I'm going. With A.J. Green joining the list, the Bengals are up to 15 players on injured reserve, including three pro bowlers. Here's my question for you this week. What's the worst injury you ever witnessed in person? The Tim Crumry injury, just to watch his legs snap like that. I mean, both uh, both bones, the tibia and fibula, snap right above his ankle, right right below his knee. So it was just flapping in the wind. I mean, just to see that. And honestly, having practiced against Tim Crumry and knowing the power of that man and the, the dogged determination of that man and watching him play and do the things that he did as a player, I literally thought he was indestructible. So it shocked me to see something like that happen to a guy that was – so freakishly strong and physical and uh, from a football standpoint. So it, it was stunning in so many ways, and I know it had an impact on the football team. When you're, when you're lead dog, I mean, the guy that nobody can beat Tim Crumry goes down to, with an injury like that, it, it can be a devastating thing. So I think you know, emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically, every way that it can impact you, I know it impacted me that way. And I remember Merlin Olson. I was talking Merlin Olson did that game with Enberg, and um, I remember talking to Merlin Olson about it, and he said, I couldn't watch it, the replay. I watched it once, and I said on the air, if well, those of you that have weak stomachs, you might want to turn away. He goes, I didn't want to watch it anymore. I said, I know. I felt the same way. I, I couldn't believe that his leg did what it did. Um, it's, it's amazing. But it just goes to show you the power, what you're dealing with in the NFL, you know, the, all the all the moisture was sucked out of that field. His his foot went in like a like a beach umbrella into the sand and planted. And he tried to torque and make a tackle. And his power and the power of the running back and all that force, you know, his leg wouldn't. It just snapped it. It snapped it like it was toothpicks. It's crazy how powerful that game can be. The Bengals face one of the NFL's hottest teams this week, the L.A. Chargers, winners of eight of their last nine, including a thrilling come-from-behind win in Pittsburgh last Sunday night. And, Lap, the thing that stood out to me watching that game was how many times quarterback Phillip Rivers knew he was about to get hit and still stood there and delivered a great throw just before getting drilled. Field general extraordinaire, heart and soul of the football team. He's so tough. He's tough-minded. He's tough physically. <laughs> to do what they did, they're down 16 at the half. It's the first time in franchise history Pittsburgh lost a 16-point lead at home. There were 174 wins, no losses, and a tie. So the 176th time, they finally get a, a loss. But the toughness that it takes mentally, physically, emotionally to do that, as we know, at that place is unbelievable. And when your quarterback is doing that, that up inspires everybody. The offensive linemen know what's happening. Defense is watching and saying, man, look at our quarterback. Man, I, I got to play harder. I got to do a little bit more here. Look what our quarterback's doing. I mean, he fueled that furnace. There's no question about it. I mean, Phillip Rivers is the best trash-talking quarterback I've ever seen. I mean, he, will, he doesn't cuss guys out because, you know, that's against his religion, literally. Uh, he's a very religious man. But this guy, he will – He'll, he'll challenge you. He just gets in your face. I mean, it's, it's like he's a defensive player playing the quarterback position the way he, he gets after people. And, uh, man, how, how about Philip Rivers, his wife's pregnant with his ninth child. She's got to be tough, too. <laughs> That's a tough household right there. <laughs> Thanks, Lap.
With eight kids and a ninth on the way, Philip and Tiffany Rivers elected to keep their home in San Diego, meaning that Philip has about a 90-minute commute each way to get to and from practice. To make that tolerable, Rivers spent 200000 bucks on a custom-made SUV with a 40-inch TV, satellite dish, Wi-Fi, and refrigerator. He calls it his mobile man cave. For more on Rivers and the Chargers, it's time for this week's Know the Foe segment. Sam Fortier covers the Chargers for The Athletic and joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show, where I started our conversation by asking him if we should look at the Chargers as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I think that they have established themselves as, as a legitimate postseason player. I know that's not as... Uh... That's not as attractive as, as maybe Super Bowl contender. Obviously, I think you have to go to the Patriots and the Chiefs. Those are the two uh, heavyweights in the AFC right now. But the Chargers last weekend uh, scored 23 unanswered to a race, a 23-7 depth at halftime in Pittsburgh. Uh, became the first team ever to win uh, at Heinz Field when the Steelers um, had built a 14-point lead. So I think this team, they have Joey Bosa back now. They're running, you know, they're operating well on offense. They won that game in Pittsburgh without running back Melvin Gordon. I think they have established themselves as a serious threat coming out of the AFC. The city of Los Angeles, what if the Rams make the Super Bowl and the Chargers make the Super Bowl? I know there's a fight for L.A. going on. The Rams are the sexy, you know, spend a lot of money in the offseason, get a lot of players. The Chargers kind of stood pat more in terms of uh, that, although they did make some major improvements. I mean, Pouncey obviously was a big deal. But how about if those two teams play in the Super Bowl and they have to travel all the way across the country to play in Atlanta, but will, what will happen in the city of L.A. if they have two Super Bowl teams? The city of L.A., I, they would, I think, mostly be pulling for the Rams. This is the, the Chargers have, they are carving out a niche for themselves, especially because of how good they are, but this is a Rams town. Um, you know, you go into the grocery stores and, and the Bud Light packs are all Rams. Uh, even in even in Orange County, where where the Chargers are based out of, it, it is a it's a Rams city. But if that were to happen, I'm sure the city of LA, you know, it's a buzzy city. They they like what they like winners, so I'm sure that they would get out for that game for sure. Sam Fortier is our guest. He covers the Chargers for the Athletic. Let's talk about Philip Rivers, who's got a birthday coming up on Saturday. He will turn 37. That's supposed to be the point where guys are just about done, if not already done, but he seems to be playing better than ever, is he? Yes, he is. He's playing the best football of his career, and that is really in large part due to the head coach, Anthony Lynn's philosophy. Um, Anthony Lynn, a former running back, Super Bowl winner, um, his philosophy is do not turn the ball over. He, he's a Bill Parcells disciple. Uh, you know, He wants a balanced offense. He wants the other team. Uh, he wants... He takes away the other team's best player. He wants you to make your mistakes and not lose is really his philosophy. And so when he came here after 2016, Philip Rivers led the league with 21 interceptions. And he said, that is not going to happen anymore. So he, uh, he really tried to curb that down. There was some friction. Uh, you know, Philip, you know, kind of made himself Philip Rivers on, on throwing those long balls, being the gunslinger. Um, and so, you know, just harping on it again and again, you know, holding him accountable on every throw. You know, Philip was afforded a lot of freedom under Mike McCoy, the previous coach. So, uh, and, and Philip himself has said he has that internal conflict. You know, when they were trailing the Rams by two touchdowns earlier in the year, Philip had to tell himself on some drive, don't do it. Don't you do it. Don't throw two interceptions, one for a touchdown and make this a blowout. You know, 
keep yourself in the game, keep yourself in the game flow. And, and we've seen that conflict kind of play out on the field this year where he'll make some dicey throws or, or he'll, you know, consciously have to throw it away or take a sack. And, and that has been one of the most fascinating storylines of the season. That is interesting. You know, you look at it and overall, their turnover ratio, they're plus 11 tied for second in the NFL, 22 takeaways tied for fourth, only 11 gives fourth in the league, top five in every category in terms of turnovers. I mean, that that's going to win you a lot of football games. There's no question. And they've won a lot of football games. Uh, their last 24 games, they're 18 and six. Uh, they've won 15 of their last 19 games. They finished last year six and one. And now nine and three to start this season, six out of the last seven, I should say, they won. How about this football team? Is it playing the best football that that uh, franchise has has seen for quite a while now? I asked Antonio Gates. It, some people forget he's still playing, but he is here. He's used mostly in the red zone and on third downs. Phillips trusts him implicitly more than anyone. They've been together for I want to say eighteen years, seventeen years now. Um, Antonio Gates said this team really feels he hasn't felt this way about a team, you know, since their 14 and two team uh, in their in their uh, 12 and 14 that that won I think it was something like 10 straight games to, to finish off the season in 09 under North Turner. Um, you know, he he thinks that this this team this franchise is playing the best football it has in probably close to a decade, um, and I think it really does go back to that Anthony Lynn philosophy, Nick Hardwick. Um, a longtime center with Philip Rivers. He was here for about a decade when, when Philip started his career. He said, you know, you've seen, and this is sort of spearheaded by Philip Rivers, right? He's an emotional guy. They play emotional football. That's why he would throw so many picks as, you know, he'd try to will himself back into the game. But he said Anthony Lynn has really bought, brought a steadiness, a, an emotionless, uh, not emotionless, but a very steady, very calculated approach. And he said this team isn't playing emotional football like it used to be. They're playing the numbers. Uh, they're playing their schemes. And they're kind of staying in that ruthless mentality. We are talking to Sam Fortier, who covers the Chargers for The Athletic. If you are looking for more info on the Chargers, you can follow him on Twitter at Sam, then the number four, then the letters TR. We are not far from Columbus, so fans here know all about Joey Bosa. How well is he playing after missing the first 10 games of the year with a foot injury? Joey Bosa looks like he is just about back to normal. He had the Chargers were really struggling to generate a pass rush. Uh, the Steelers are a pretty offensive line last week, and Joey Bosa came through in the third quarter for for a big sack that ultimately led to a punt and uh, that ultimately led to a punt return touchdown that, that allowed the Chargers to tie the game and ultimately take the lead. Um, he is he is playing just as well as uh, as he you know as he ever has. And a part of that key is so Nick Bosa after he withdrew from the Ohio State. Uh, he came out here, uh, and he lives with Joey now. They have a pretty serious workout set up in, in their garage. And I know that Joey at halftime, especially in that first game when he came back, Joey texted Nick at halftime. He said, hey, how do I look? Uh, and, and Nick said, focus on your get-off. Here's what you want to do with your hands, your legs. And, um, and Joey said that has really helped. And those two playing off each other, Joey attributes to, to how he's playing so far. Interesting. You know, you, you look at it, um, the, the coaching staff, that Lynn has assembled. Both his coordinators are former head coaches, Ken Wisenhunt and Gus Bradley. That's that's pretty impressive. And defensively, I mean, they're playing the Seattle, Gus Bradley, Pete Carroll type of scheme, cover three, and they drafted a guy, Derwin James, with the 17th pick. Everybody had him as a top 10, and he slides to the 17th pick. And with Bosa and Ingram, you know, applying pressure up front, and Derwin James, Casey Hayward in the back end, I mean, it, it has some – 
some look of the Seattle Seahawks, what they do, it's not real complicated. They just go out and execute it extremely well, don't they? Yeah, and, and they're, they, have that, they have that cover three scheme. And it's sort of remarkable because um, this team has lost Denzel Perriman, uh, their, uh, their outside linebacker who was a big run stopper for them. They lost Corey Legit, defensive tackle, um, who was also right. a run stopper. They lost both of them in the last four weeks. Uh, they didn't have Brandon Nebe in the last two games because of a personal reason, um, and that's their you know first and second down defensive tackle. So this defense has really been uh, decimated by injuries, personal reasons, and then you know going back to to the start of the year, you know you lose your starting free safety in Jalen Watkins. I mean this defense has certainly faced uh, in Kaiser White, their their rookie starting outside linebacker. He only played three games this year, so they still have the stars that you've mentioned. They they've also lost a lot of talent, but. Um, They've still maintained, and you could probably attribute that to this Gus Bradley system, they've still maintained an elite level defense. A couple more questions for Chargers beat reporter Sam Fortier. We have talked about a lot of the Chargers stars, Rivers, Gates, Bosa, etc., Keenan Allen. I guess we haven't uh, spent much time talking about him, but give me a couple of guys that typical football fan uh, doesn't watch the Chargers every week, doesn't know about, that's playing really good football. Adrian Phillips is their he's their middle linebacker in their nickel package. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know, with AJ Green going out, how much we'll see, you know, three receiver sets. But I, I know, you know, a lot of football teams are in 11 personnel now, so I assume the nickel package will be on the defense, will be on the field a lot for the Chargers this week. He is the Anthony Lynn has called him the key cog. He's a, he was undrafted free agent. Um, he directs that defense. He's he's effective against the run. Um, he gets everybody lined up. He's a really smart guy. Adrian Phillips, 31 on the defense, is a guy you're going to watch. You're going to want to watch out for. Um, then also Michael Davis uh, on the outside at corner. Uh, he takes the second receiver usually if you know if they're not playing zone. Last week they went man against Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Antonio Brown on the Steelers. Michael Davis is a guy. He didn't start until about week nine, right after the bye week. They they moved on from Trevor Williams, their other starting corner. And Michael Davis is sort of that longer, he's you know, 6'2", 190. Uh, Gus Bradley kind of batted down in comparison to Richard Sherman ball skills-wise, but his body type is, is exactly that prototype Gus Bradley corner you want to look for. So uh, those two guys are going to be, I would say, big factors on the defense this weekend. Um, my question is, that, like you mentioned, the, the, um, the comeback. And we know how hard it is playing the Steelers every year in Pittsburgh – to come from behind when trailing by two scores, uh, or actually three scores at one point in, in the in the football game, I think they they rallied from 16 down, didn't they? And it had never they happened. Did. They were 170, 174 wins, no losses, one tie. To do that uh, in the momentum that's built off of that, do you think that's something that carries over, or do you think this is the classic trap game? In come the Bengals struggling, lost six out of their last seven. The team might just roll their helmets out there. Big emotional win, Sunday night football, the whole nation. Wow, look at the Chargers. How do you think this team reacts, you being around them on a daily basis? Do you think that momentum carries, or do you think they do have a little bit of an emotional um, you know, lull and, and maybe trap game problem? buy into to coach speak too much but I mean I was talking to Russell Okun the left tackle and he's an incredibly intelligent person and he was saying the other day he said I you know I don't know if I've ever been a 
around a football team this resilient. And he was on those Seattle Seahawks teams, you know, those the Legion of Boom. And I mean, he has played with some, and he played with Peyton Manning in Denver. I mean, he has been around some serious football teams. And he said, this team is, is one of the more resilient squads I've ever been a part of. Um, and, and it's tough to say, I mean, this could possibly be a trap game, but even, even when, I mean, for example, two weeks ago, the Chargers started uh, in the first quarter, they got dominated by Arizona. They were down 10, nothing. Josh Rosen was looking like an all pro. Uh, the offense, you know, had two, three and outs, something like that. And they came back and they scored 45 on answer to, to win 45, 10. And, and I think Josh Rosen, he had a hundred and something yards in the first quarter. And, and he had maybe 49 yards the rest of the way. It was, you know, you hate to say they can just flip the switch, but even if they even if they spot you two scores, they're still raring back, you know? Our thanks to Sam Fortier. Last but not least, A.J. Green was placed on season-ending injured reserve on Wednesday. Join the club. It's a list that includes Andy Dalton, Tyler Eifert, Preston Brown, Carl Lawson, and nine others. Dalton had surgery to repair ligament damage in his thumb last week and sat down this week to talk with Dave Lapham. The two guys this team could not afford to lose, it loses. How about this year with injuries? It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's been been really crazy. You know, it, it's unfortunate that we've had so many guys go down. And uh, you know, it's tough to have your, your season cut short. And, uh, you know, especially for me, I've had it, had, it, had it happen one other time in my career. And, <clears throat> I mean, you never want to see it happen. So um, there have been a lot of key pieces that have gone down. And so it's, it's just been tough. Your injury... Everybody says you're going to be fine, back for OTAs, you know, rehab. They just had to surgically repair a torn ligament. Is that the situation? Yeah, so they just went in there and they got everything fixed and, um, you know, expect full recovery. And uh, we'll just take it slow because there's no reason to push it at this point. And so, um, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is just to kind of take it one day at a time right now. Just uh, the healing process takes time, and uh, that's where I'm at. My heart was aching for you, though, because I, I think you knew something was really wrong when you went to the sideline. Just the expression, I saw you one time just, you know, throw your head down in frustration, and I thought, ah, oh, man, he knows. He knows something's up. And, and That kind of thing is, is your worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things, like in, in 15 when it happened, I didn't know exactly what had gone on. I felt like there's still a chance um, that I'd still be able to play and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, after getting the x-rays and stuff, saw that it was broken. This time I... I knew right away, uh, just because I'd kind of been through that feeling before, and uh, you know, known what had gone on, and so uh, yeah, it was. I think right away I knew that something something was wrong. You got the the brace on. I did, I had what they called gatekeepers, where you bend your thumb back to your forearm, kind of, and, and, and is that what happened to you? Because I, I mean, I I played with a club, I couldn't hold anymore, but I, I played with a club. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, obviously, quarterback, you can't you can't do anything with an injury like that. But did you have that kind of thing, that gatekeeper's feeling? Yeah, it's just one of those things the the um you know, with, with the ligament being being torn the way it was, it uh you know, can't grip a football. Right. It's one of those things like you said, if you played a different position you may be all right, but right. uh when you have to throw a ball it, you're not gonna be able to make that work. We just had Bob McNell on the show a little bit earlier, and you know he said, you know, people have to understand this is an elite quarterback. Andy Dalton is an elite quarterback and he's talking about all the phases of the of the position that people really don't understand you know and uh he says you do that at such a at such a high level how do you think your season was going this year how did you think it went yeah there's a lot of good things that happened this year um i think the way that you know you look at the games we won how we won them um you know being 
fourth quarter comebacks, making the play at the end of the game when you need to. I mean, that that was uh, – you know, when you look back on the season, there's there's something you can definitely take away. And there's some games we wish we would have had back. We wish we would have been in uh, – you know, you look at a couple of games like the Kansas City and the Saints game. It's like we wish we could have done more and wish I could have done more. But, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of positives to take away from the season. What's your role going to be with uh, Jeff? What are, you, what are you going to do in support of Jeff Driscoll? Yeah, so I, yeah, I'm still sitting in all the meetings and um, and, and being around and just trying to help out any any, any way I can. Uh, I think just with talking through the game plan with, with different plays, this is, hey, this is how I view this play. This is what I would do on, on certain reads. Obviously, the coaches are doing a great job with him. Um, and so uh, I'm just trying to give little bits of information that maybe the coaches may not be giving him. What'd you think if you looked at the tape of his first start? What'd you think overall? Yeah, I thought he played well. I thought, um, you know, he was really accurate with the ball. He put the ball in, in good spots, and uh, you know, he moved the offense well. And um, you know, I, I think I thought he did a great job. This football team, the Chargers, <clears throat> Gus Bradley had, uh, was a head coach, and uh, he was with the Seattle Seahawks. It looks like they're running Seattle's defense. I mean, you know, they're playing that cover three, and they have Derwin James, who's ideal for that uh, for that defense. What do you see out of the Chargers when you look at them on tape? Yeah, it's they're not a complicated team. They're just uh, sound in what they do. Is again, like you're saying, it's that whole Seattle style of defense, which you know several teams are now uh, have adopted that, yep. that that defensive scheme, and uh, just because of the success that Seattle had with it, and um, I think with coordinators moving on to be head coaches and uh, position coaches kind of taking over as coordinators it just kind of kind of how it works but um you know it's it's just this is how they're going to line up you know where they're going to be and they're just sound at what they do and so um when you get the chances to attack them you you've, you've got to make the most of it atlanta jacksonville i mean those are some of the defense that you, you had great success obviously in the atlanta game earlier this year attacking that uh that defense jacksonville you know, is running it. So, yeah, it, it is It is around the league a little bit. And and I think it's it's going to be a, a, a real big asset to Jeff to have you, who already prepared for that defense earlier in the season, you know, to kind of sit there and say, this is what I was thinking when they were doing this. They'll probably do this if we do that. Those kind of things are invaluable. Yeah, you know, I think you can, uh, with just the way that, that this defense plays, you kind of know in certain spots where they're going to be. And um, so uh, maybe on certain reads, you may be able to get off some get somebody quicker and uh, get to your next progression, or you may be able to, hey, this is probably where the ball's going to go because of the way they play. Plus, <clears throat> Cleveland and Pittsburgh, you've played both of those teams. I mean, you can provide the same type of uh, source, resource, and information for them down the stretch in those last two road games. Yeah, you know, I'm going to, like I said, I'm just trying to try to help out as much as I can, uh, you know, in any way that, uh, that he needs me. So you envision yourself here with the Cincinnati Bengals for the long haul. I mean, you want to be a 20-year quarterback. You don't play as long as Brady. Play till you're 20, till you're 45. That, that's a long time. I don't know about that, but I, you know, I, I would love to be here my my whole career. I know we um, we love it here and we're established here, and um, you know, this is the only, the only thing I know. I kind of like what AJ was saying. He's uh, he, he's in this for the long haul, and. Um, no, I hope to be too. Andy has two years left on his contract at an average of about $17 million a year. That's obviously a lot of money, but Andy ranks 19th among NFL quarterbacks in salary. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is always appreciated and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.